Hi, this is Patrick Piccarelli of the Hollywood Godfather podcast. Uh, today's interview will be the second of two interviews conducted by Adrian Martinez of Gianni and myself on the Invest in Yourself podcast. Gianni and I will return to regular broadcasting on Wednesday, April 19th with a new show. Thank you. Like, look, like we said uh, a little while ago, uh, it's, it's based on facts. So we wanted to stick to Gianni's life. Of course, you know, put a little drama in there. But Gianni uh, had a relationship with uh, Marilyn Monroe, which, which he, he can talk to. You know, and it's a, a situation where she wanted to leave Fox because she's made some great movies. But they were all sex symbols. And she, what was that one that she did that? A pad that. Well, her last, one of her last ones was Some Like It Hot, but she, uh, no, no, know, no, the one Harry after and, you know, every, everything was uh, uh, dealt with the sexuality. But uh, toward the end, she made, uh, in fact, her last movie was The Misfits. That's the one. She, I mean, I've seen that numerous times. I mean, she's got some acting chops. And so she wanted uh, to pursue that. And the Xanax. Said no, you can't. We we control you. You're a sex symbol. Yeah. So, and and but they didn't realize she's very well liked by the mob. It's amazing. Accardo, Costello, they all love this lady. And she's like she's like a little girl. When you see her, she has a very low esteem. And when they all met her, they just wanted to help her. It was funny. Sinatra, all of them. So what's ha what happened? She came here, fortunately. And he hit her out in the Waldorf Astoria in a suite that he controls. And she was there for a year. And over that year, we we nurtured a great friendship first. It wasn't about sex. But most people who have had a relationship with Marilyn, including most of the people, the guy I co-started with, Marlon Brando had sex with her. Tony Curtis, when we did Lepke, he talked about her. Sinatra, which I felt so bad because she really thought he, like he was an uncle. But all she thought she can give you back is that. She had such a, a low self-esteem. And, it, you know, men, they just took advantage of her. But with us, we both, we both needed a hug. There was a parallel we had because when I was 12, when I got out of the hospital, she was 12, they put her into an orphanage. Mm. And she was looking out the window and she saw the water tower of Warner Brothers. And she said, someday I'm going to become an actress. When I finally got the window bed on the seventh floor of Bellevue, which is still there, the building, a mental institution, they turned it into a quarantine ward. And I looked at the window and I, it's the first time I ever saw the Empire State Building because everything in our neighborhood was. 10, maybe not even five or six story down in Mulberry Street. I never saw a tall building. I never left the neighborhood. And I said, someday I'm going to be uptown. Well, I came up and I never left. <laughs> <laughs> but you had to go and, and, through and some again, struggle to get there, you know what I mean? Well, you know, you know once, I got out of the, once I got out of the polio ward, there was no more struggles. <laughs> if I beat that, that was, that was my margin. I'm, I'm not failing. And it gave me the energy. And that's why even today, I got kids, uh, you know, 63. They say, how do you keep doing what you're doing? Because they, they read, and I don't even talk to them. 
they read you know, Montour, like next week I'm at Bally's in Atlantic City doing my show. I'm doing 18 cities. It's 80 the- minutes. They want to watch television, sit in a rocket chair, forget that. That's not your style, man. Yeah, some people are just built to hustle, man. Especially going through some shit like that, you know, where you had five years of your life taken from you just, you know, because of this damn viruses that go around. And I mean, it really has got to be a mind mind change, you know, for anybody that has to be stuck in, you know, room like that or whatever it was for that much time. Well, the first 90 days that I was there, I learned a very important lesson that most kids, I think, would have destroyed them. Because I was making friends with kids. We're all kids. Mm-hmm. And then I stopped because most of those kids died. I was building a relationship. And then when they went to therapy, they would never come back. And they scrubbed the bed and they said, no, Johnny ain't here no more. He went to heaven. And I'm saying to myself, what the hell is going on? I don't want to talk to anybody anymore. Because how many disappointments can you take? Yeah, And that's, that's why when we, when we started relating to this, and um, well, you didn't read the first book. The last sentence in the first book is "Yes, you can." That's the last sentence in the book, and that's our motto. Well, that's the theme. All, all books should have themes, uh, and that's the, the 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 theme of that book is, you know, try, just keep on trying. You're gonna have, you know, you have, you have more failures in life than you have successes. I mean, th- th- things go bad. The average person just say, ah, the hell with this. I don't want to go through this again. But Gianni was just the opposite. He just kept on pushing and pushing and pushing. And uh, obviously, uh, uh, he had a lot of successes toward the end. But the, the, the purpose of, of the book was to say, look, if I can do this with actually, you know, zero education, zero. That's, that's uh, and, what it's about. And look, look where I am now. You know, you can at least try. And uh, that, that was the theme of the book. No, yep. I liked it. And I thought it was really good, you know, and to hear the the actual background of, you know, Johnny and you, I mean, it, it just makes the book more, more, you know, more powerful because, you know, it was just we're normal people. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. That's that's I don't what I'm know. I, I shouldn't I shouldn't say we're normal. No, <laughs> that's, that's, average that's a stretch. That's a stretch. <laughs> You're yeah. human. You're a human. <laughs> I've been called living and breathing where I made out of flesh. Yeah. (laughs) Called a lot of things, but normal isn't one of them. You know, I kind of want to touch on with this, the six family book, the mafia was involved with Marilyn and you said, you know, I'm I'm not going to get too much into it, but you know, what was, you you said, talk about it, you know, like, uh, we we don't want to give away any spoilers. In other words, that's what you said. (laughs) Well, I mean, I know. Okay. What I can say is, you know, Johnny, you grew up, and Frank Costello was your mentor, right? Yeah, for, for at the beginning. Then, yeah. when I started traveling in the '60s, you know, they, uh, they they wanted me to travel to meet everybody because he groomed me well enough. Mm-hmm. So the next family I met was in Chicago, Tony Accardo. Yeah. Then I went to Kansas City. Then I went to I met every mob family in the United States because the deal that they made, unbeknownst to me he made with Joe Kennedy because he was partners with Joe Kennedy during Prohibition. And they amassed 30 million each then. You know what that is in today's dollars? How much? And Joe Kennedy asked him, He want, his son was already a senator in New York, 
and he wanted to run for presidency. And they they needed, you know, a Catholic being a, a president never happened. So they thought, get the mob, get all the unions, the Teamsters, the culinary. Their, their membership is enough votes to swing any election. And that's what that was about. So, but it, it gave me an opportunity, which stayed in my life. I'm still friends with a lot of these guys. Yeah. They're in their 90s yet. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, we just <laughs> lost one who's in the book. We lost a guy at the end of the book. That I did, <laughs> that book is dedicated to a, a guy. That that passed away. That was a mob a boss. Guy. Oh, yeah. Real yeah guy. The, uh, he's a character in our book. Yeah, he's, he's a character in the book. And... Mm -hmm. uh, had, had, he had cancer and uh, he passed away right before the book was published. Hmm. And I visited him for 31 days straight. So when we were doing this, I mean, he was so enamored that I was doing this. And it's unfortunately, you know, I could, it, I've lost 43 people during COVID. Yeah. That's a lot of people. Yeah, it really is. All different age groups. So, I mean, this guy was in his 80s. I'm losing kids in their 30s. It's crazy. Yeah. So with you growing up and doing that with, you know, Frank Costello, what, uh, what, what part were you with him just making the connections with everyone and being his guy to go to these I, meetings? I was a messenger. I okay. was a messenger, clean. No, no, they could never do nothing to me. In fact, mm -hmm. later on, I'm with they, I mean, the first entire brains of these guys and how they protected me, unbeknownst to me at that time, as you get old and you get educated of life. I, my first time I went to Chicago, I, I always saw him every morning between 10, 30, and 11 o'clock at the Waldo. I had to meet him there. And this one particular time, he says, you're going to Chicago tomorrow. I said, okay. And he gave me an envelope. He says, there's an airline ticket in. Somebody will pick you up at the airport, and they'll take you to the Palm House. You're going to meet a man. It's okay. That's all I have. I don't ask questions. That's why I lived so long and did this job so well. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> so I get there, and uh, the guy who I got to be friends with, Frank Ballesteri, who picked me up at O'Hare, happened to be the shooter that shot Sam Giancana. So these are the guys I was building. As they were growing, I was growing with them. Oh so that's why I have the relationships with them. Did so I get I get to the Palmer house, and... Uh, they introduced me to this guy, Sidney Korshak. You should look this guy up. So he introduced himself. Did you have an envelope for me? I gave him the envelope. And I've carried envelopes by years now. And he opens it up and took the money out, which like I knew was like a $10,000 wrapper, put it in his pocket. And he said, sign here and sign here. He gave me a copy and he signed my copy and he put it in his pocket. He said, you know what this means? Like, I said, no. Because I can't read. How am I going to know what it is? I just signed my name. So he said, you just retain me as your lawyer. Every conversation we have now is under privilege of attorney-client. This is the brains, this guy. And when you, when I, you got to look up Sidney Koshka to find out where he went online. But okay. that's how much protection they had for me. And it went on until years with the Vatican. I was with the Vatican for eight years, 10 years. Just moving a lot, a lot of money. But um, did they ever want to bring you in as a made guy? Or no, I want, a couple of times Chicago said you come with us, and I said I'm not allowed to do that. 
See, they had so much respect for my family out of Sicily. Like my Uncle Angelo sent a lot of these guys here in the beginning. Frank Costello's mother and father came because of him. And a lot of people don't know, Carlo Gambino came to this country, and he's ahead of your audience that don't realize, the strongest crime family in New York at that time, and probably still, maybe not now, I don't know what it is, but is the Gambino crime family. Carlo Gambino came to this country as a made guy at 17. So, I mean, that's the kind of people that were sent to you, and that's why, you know, then you all knew Angelo Russo. And that's why I got a lot of respect, too. And then I won't spoil it to when you read the, our first book, okay. <laughs> how I really got their attention at 12 years old. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Pat, yeah, Pat, so you got to get their attention. Oh, yeah. No, that's one thing about Pat. He knows how to write you to get your attention. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. it, it, yeah I, I told Gianni uh, often when we were doing this uh uh, first in a series. This, this is a series, by the way. The, the, the Sixth Family is the first in a series of uh, Gianni Russo fiction books. Uh, and I, I said, you know, I, most of my career has been done collaborating with people who want their stories told. So I'm known as the with guy. You know, it's uh, uh, my story by uh, whatever his name is and a little type on the bottom. It's with Patrick Piccarelli. You know, and, uh, you know, it's it's nice. I mean, obviously, Johnny and I became fast friends and uh, it's led to a lot of things. And, uh, you know, obviously the second book and, uh, you know, meeting people, it's, it's been great. But the average person, and I don't consider Johnny Russo average by any means, is difficult to write a book about somebody because they have an inflated opinion of themselves. Otherwise, they wouldn't ask for a book to begin with. Yeah. Gianni was different. You know, somebody comes along and says, I want to do your life story. They jump on it, you know, because uh, they, they, they don't want to lose the opportunity. But Gianni was different. He started looking for somebody who can tell the truth uh, and put it on, on, on paper that people will understand what the old neighborhood was like, what these wise guys are like, what the police are like, what the politicians are like. And that's why it, it took him uh, it took him 20 years, to, you know, to to find me, but basically our agent put us together. But, uh, do I, you know, I asked myself, do I want to continue doing this? Because some of these people, you know, really, they, they want to give the impression, particularly when you're dealing with people in organized crime, and some of my books are about organized crime, and some of them are about cops, but they all want to put an impression forward that uh, they're something that they are, for the most part. And I always had to rein them in. Because no publisher was going to believe all this bullshit. <laughs> That's what I used to tell. I said, you know, there's ups, there's downs. But what, what publishers want to see in any book, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, that the character in fiction or the person that the memoir is about changes throughout the course of that person's life. Not that they were uh, uh, perfect to begin with. And, and the book, they're still perfect. You know, when you're writing about police officers, how, how many people I arrested, this, that. And uh, people that are in, in organized crime, they didn't do anything. <laughs> they, you know, it's uh, the other guy did it, you know, the, you know, uh, and I, I didn't want to do that anymore. So we I was talking about uh, this with Gianni and I said, you know, if I could spend the rest of my writing career, just writing your fiction series, I'd be happy. So that's my goal. Yeah, in, 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 in the twilight, it's just to put out a book or two a year. 
that everybody will enjoy. They're all going to be different, obviously. But with the uh, when you write a fiction series, the hardest part of writing a fiction series is not to write the same thing over and over again. Right. I don't know, are, you, are you an avid reader, Adrian? Yeah, uh, yeah, I've been reading a lot of books with all my guests and everyone that I have come on my show. I read all their books. What about what about fiction series? I'm getting into it now that I've read your guys's. I mean, I enjoyed it, you know. Oh, but yeah. I usually I read their their life story when I do their interview. But like with your guys's, I wanted to make sure that I read your guys's book so I would have in my yeah, head, you know, right away, fresh in well, my head. Be, well, be aware if you're going to start reading a, a fiction series, that's where you can start out with the first book and say, "Well, this guy is this woman. Well, she can write, and he can write, and this is really good." But after a while, the problem with doing a series and I've read a series where there's been 26 books with the same character. After a while, you're reading the same story, the same formula, over and over and over again. And yeah. I don't want that. To, I didn't even want a hint of that. And well, Johnny and I, we don't want that at all. So we decided we're going to do this differently. So the sixth family takes place in 1986. Right. So you would you would you would assume that we're going to go forward now, but it's not necessarily. It, it turns out that the second book is uh is going to be uh post-1986 going to take place in the late 90s or the early 2000s but the third one uh could take place in the 70s or the 60s yeah and we're going to keep going back and forth and this breaks new ground it's to keep the writing fresh to keep the story fresh and above all to keep people wanting the next book no i think that's smart yeah it's something different Uh, and i've never seen that before because in a series Mm -hmm. it's always moving ahead Uh, but things should change with the protagonist and usually people say gee the first three books i did very well i don't know if i want to take a chance i mean they're writers and they have imaginations and they could easily try to do something different but the publishers don't necessarily want that right you know if it ain't broke don't fix it and you know you got this guy doing what he's doing keep it up but you uh, you find it's, it's it's very very predictable for instance the second book we're doing it's going to take place on St. Martin Island in the Caribbean. Totally different, different characters, different everything, different premise. And then the the you know the third, the fourth book, so on and so forth. As long as you know we're physically able to to write, but we're going to continue changing everything. My question too is: Is Johnny going to be the main character in each one? Or are you you going to be? No, it's his. It's going to be his series. It's Johnny Rufus. I'm, I'm the threat in it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, fortunately, there's. I mean. I'm 80 years old. I hope Pat lives long enough to write all the stories. <laughs> I know I'm going. I'm good for 115 right now. They said. My okay, well, well, if, if, if I if I don't have a tornado coming through my basement in the next like 20 minutes, uh, and I'm I'm undecided because uh, the wind is whipping like mad out there. But anyway, now I, now I know why you stay in the basement all the time. Yeah, <laughs> I have one little window in here, but I'm sitting in front of it. And I'm saying. If it's going to come, I can see the thing dropping right into my lap. Well, <laughs> I'm a city boy. I don't know anything about tornadoes. All I know about tornadoes is they hit trailer parks. I don't live in a trailer park. And I, I had a, I had an idea. You know, there was a uh, about three years ago there was a tornado in downtown Nashville, and you know, tornadoes never go to downtown. You know, they're always out in the in the boondock somewhere. So I said, the mayor of Nashville had a brain in his head. He'd build a dummy trailer park right outside of the uh, outskirts of nashville so let the thing sweep right through and wipe everything out and you're going to be you're going to be fine this is one of the reasons i'm not a politician i guess 
<laughs> that's true though i mean it seems like tornadoes always are out in the country area or like out out the outskirts of town and shit <laughs> yeah, and the, the, and the, you know the, why they do that why because the damage is mostly there and they want to show the most damage they're not going to show homes when trailer parks are thrown all over the place and this trail is that's what it's it's all the news to, that's one of the things <laughs> the fictitious news today Edward R. Murrow, all those guys got to be rolling over in their grave because years, to be a newsman, you had to be a fact finder. You couldn't go on the air and, well, we think this. What do you mean you think? Who? What, what does that matter if it ain't a fact? Uh, oh, the, 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 the difference between then and now is then there were three networks. That was it. You watched ABC, NBC, or CBS, and that's it. Now you literally have a thousand stations to choose from. So we're the, all vying for ratings. That's why. Well, the, the, the attitude of, of the television news programs are if it bleeds, it leads. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you, you got to have something that's going to shake people up. But invariably, uh, they have to, in these, these tornadoes, and there's a lot of them around here, as I'm sure they are where, where you are, Adrian, right? You're in, you're in flat country, right? Yeah, luckily I've never, I'm only on one. Maybe one almost came down, but I mean, we get warnings all the damn time, but you know, I've never had one come, one came to art, fuck, eight of them came to where I, where I live in the eighties. I don't know if you ever watched Night of the Twisters, but that one actually came to our town and fucking destroyed it. <laughs> but and since I, then, I, we've never had nothing. <laughs> I mean, did it destroy your house or anything? Or? I wasn't around, but not oh, my okay. family's, but the main, it actually came in the, you know, like what Johnny was saying, like that actually does come in to the main area of the town and fuck yeah destroyed the whole whole areas out there yeah, the closest I, people died. I don't know i think i don't think too many honestly I don't, I don't think it was a whole lot maybe less than 10 but how I, old were you at the time just negative 20 that should happen in the 80s <laughs> wasn't born yet. in the 80s yeah yeah boy i have, I have shoes that like from uh 1982 but anyway <laughs> I did a. I, I have a good tornado story. I uh, I was doing a, a book signing in an, uh, an Air Force base in Ohio, mm -hmm. in 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 a PX. Now, when I was in the military, a, a PX was a Quonset hut, and you, you went there if you if you smoked, you can buy a carton of cigarettes for two bucks, literally. The PXs yeah, the now PX are the big, big thing. Uh, PXs now are like department stores. Yep. And uh, I, I was invited, I forget what the name of the Air Force Base was. Uh, oh, uh, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. It is friggin' huge. And I go there and they were waiting for me at the gate. They brought me into this PX. It was enormous. I mean, like 10 football fields. And they had set up uh, a, a an area for me right by the entrance, which is a good place to be, with a pyramid of the book I had written at the time. I forgot what it was. It really doesn't make a difference. I mean, it was higher than Abe Lincoln's hat. This freaking pyramid was all my books really high. And I say, I am going to have a good day here. No sooner do I sit down or I hear the siren. And they even had uh, an assistant, a, a, a young uh, a female uh, air, uh, air person, can't say airman, whatever she was. And she was running around getting me, you know, refreshments and everything. She said, okay, any minute the doors are going to open. And that's when the siren went off. And all of a sudden, the, the, the doors open and a crowd of people come in. They hear the siren. They all turn around and they leave. Maybe you're talking about 500 people. So I, I said to this woman, I said, well, was it something I said? I mean, <laughs> but they, they don't like New York. And she says, no, we're in Tornado Alley. And that's 
a tornado warning. This is not an alert. This is a warning. And we're going to have to leave now. So we wow. left. We left an hour, like an hour went into the basement. But that was it. Now, I didn't sell one book. And 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 because everybody stayed home after that, you know, the place yeah, was yeah, destroyed. Sure. The the PX was was still standing, but there was a lot of damage. So on, on the way home, to add insult to injury, I'm driving home in a in a uh, I had a, a, a jeep. I'm driving home on uh, Interstate 70, and I'm nowhere near water. I mean, we're landlocked for like a thousand miles in every direction. A seagull comes out of nowhere. It smashes into my windshield. <laughs> and I said, what? <laughs> a seagull. And these things, you know, I've never seen a seagull up close. I'm a city boy. You know, every now and then you go to Coney Island, there's a couple of drunk seagulls walking around. But, you know, because they're <laughs> eating things they shouldn't be eating. But this yeah. thing smashed through my windshield. And I said, what else could possibly go wrong today? This thing was enormous. <laughs> I never, on your as windshield. Close as I never got to a tornado. But, What's that, Johnny? Especially when they're on your windshield. Yeah. There you go. And I, I drove home with that bird looking me right in the eye. You know, I said, I got to get the hell out of the state. Yeah, fuck that. <laughs> well, let's see what else you guys want to. I, I know it's got about like six more minutes on here. Do you guys want to do more or kind of get or wrap it up now? Yeah, we can wrap it up. I mean, yeah. Let's do the last six minutes and keep it. So, well, let me ask you a question. After reading, this because I never we never have an opportunity to we're being interviewed by you, but you read the book. Yeah. What what's the highlights of the book that you think would be for our audience and your audience listening now is the reason for them to go buy the book? I think the mafia aspect, because I've done a lot of interviews with mafia guys that were in the life and now they've changed their life. But I think the whole mafia aspect of it and uh who, who you were involved with in the book the bosses i also think the whole marilyn monroe aspect of it as well because there's so much that could have you know happened like what happened in the book i think i mean i'm trying not to say anything to give it away you know what i mean but <laughs> you know well, i think that there's a lot to to you can give up one or two things it's just a hook well, it's just, it that way you know i mean Mal Monroe is more popular today than she was when she was alive. Oh yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. So I mean, for for Johnny to have a relationship with her, I think, you know, everybody that's probably in my age group now, twenty years old or whatever, they still would know, and they'd be like, "Damn, he really was involved with her," you know. So I I thought that was pretty interesting. You know, I told my my girlfriend about it too, and she's like, "Oh shit, really?" You know, because it's it's interesting, and you know, my my she's aunts, icon, you know, yeah, my I mean, my 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 mom's sisters, you know, they're they're fifty, and you know, they they know uh, of her, and you know, they have the pictures of her and everything. So that 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 part of it, I think, will catch people's attention from many age groups. You know what I mean? Because yeah, well, we're finding that out too. We've crossed over about four different age groups with the first book. And I think this book is even going to be broader for us. Well, I see, you know, like Pat said, I'm I'm in a different city every other week, and I'm I'm all walks of life. And I, I did a, in fact, I was in West Virginia, Colesburg last Saturday, in in, in a theater I couldn't believe, <laughs> built a hundred years ago. Amazing, they redid it, and I had a standing ovation and a meet and greet in the end, and there was everybody there. 
There was teenagers who who read the book. There were their mother and fathers who read the book. You know, they passed it around the house. <laughs> but they were all interested in the stories and who was interested in the mob, who was interested in Marilyn. There's so many different, and that's the brilliance of the way Pat writes. I mean, so he's not just hooking to one thing. There's about six things you could pick out and and digest and say, okay, I'm, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm I want to know more. Yeah. yeah, we'd like to really thank you, Adrian, for for having us on. We're not used to this. We're usually the ones asking questions. Oh, yeah, no, I'm sure. You're a very good interviewer. You're very good. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you. you. Well, no, I appreciate. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you guys were able to come on my show and let me interview you because when I initially reached out to Patrick, I was just like, damn, you know, I really want to learn more about you. And he's like, well, you know, it's only right to bring Johnny on. I was like, yeah, it is. You know, I'd really like to hear from him too. (laughs) I didn't know how, how possible that would have been. So when he's like, yeah, I'm going to look in, he said, yeah, we'll do it. And I was like, holy shit, this is happening. So yeah, it's an honor to meet both of you too. And after reading your book, I mean, it, it, I don't know. And just really brought me closer to wanting to know what more you guys got going on and that you guys are still working hard and hustling, man. A lot of fun. But it's not even work to us. We enjoy what we do. Uh, exactly. <laughs> that's it's just fun. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, once you can make money and a career off of that, off of just yeah, having fun, yeah, it's this, not this, this is the most, this is the most second enjoyable thing you can do. What what other mob guys have you, if you don't mind? Well, they were on your show, so you can talk about them. Yeah, I've had on uh, Larry Mazza, which is Pat was saying he was trying to get a hold of, uh, Bobby Luisi, John A. Light, uh, Frank DiMatteo, um, some bookies as well, Chicky Chickatelli, John Merges. They were both bookies. And... um, who else have I had? Anthony DeLuca was a uh, was with Frank DiMatteo. They were underneath Joey Gallo's crew. They were associates. And uh, hell, I've had quite a few. I'm trying to think who else. Um, Myron Sugarman, he was like a Jewish gangster. His family was a part of. Maurice Spado was another good one. Uh, well, you know, it's so, it's so funny that you say that because, you know, I did a movie called Lepke. Uh, yeah, yeah. And Tony Lewis Lefke. Yeah, Lewis Bokalter. Mm-hmm. And uh, I played Albert Anastasia, no less. His brother is my godfather. Tony <laughs> really? Anastasia in real life. Holy shit. And, and it's so funny. I mean, when you start to think about that, that whole, and, and here we are talking about them. I mean, yeah. that up. <laughs> no, I, I think as men and women are enamored by the mom, always have been. Bogart so, made a career, Cagney made a career. And that I think having that ability to tell a story like Pat does, that intrigue's gonna go forever. And then you have the tinsel of Marilyn Monroe and the tinsel of this. <laughs> it all works. Well, that recording's just about to end here, less than 30 seconds. So I appreciate oh, you guys. You. Okay, thank you for having us. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be in touch with you shortly. And that was that. And I'll be back. Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo or Patrick Picciarelli with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com, which is where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather and on Facebook, as well as leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. 
We'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your messages. Good night. My kids still can't believe I sat with a saint. My life's like scenes out of a movie. I'm the Hollywood godfather, truly. I got stories with them all. You know, celebrities, world leaders, icons. Who knows what's next for me? I'll never get too old to have a little fun. Come on, I'm Gianni Russo. A genuine one of a kind. What a ride it's been, this life of mine. And I ain't done yet. I'll be back until next time. And that was that.